Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. The flat season is now getting into full swing. And on today's podcast, I've gone across the Atlantic to talk about the Kentucky Derby. They have had snow there earlier this week, which is due to be run on Saturday the 1st of May. My guest today is Jay Hufty, an award-winning American journalist and national columnist for Blood Horse magazine and Blood Horse Daily, who has written four books on racing, including one on Cigar, the first winner of the Dubai World Cup. Jay also serves on the nominating committee for the Thoroughbred Racing Hall of Fame and is married to the retired Hall of Fame jockey, Julie Crone. I hope you enjoy today's podcast with Jay and find out more about the Kentucky Derby. Hello, Jay. Thank you for being our first American guest on the Paddock and the Pavilion. Thank you very much, Stephen. Appreciate it, and uh, it's an honour. Well, I've I've spoken to um, cricketers in Barbados, and I've spoken to a racing trainer in Sydney and another cricketer in Sydney, but it's our first uh, venture into California. How are you today, Jay? Uh, wonderful. Getting excited about the Kentucky Derby and Triple Crown season coming up and uh, trying to pay a little bit of attention to the uh, overseas action as well. But we have uh, um, an interesting, uh, interesting Triple Crown season uh, upon us. Well, that's what we're going to principally talk about today, the Kentucky Derby. I must get that right. But how has the pandemic affected a, a leading uh, horse racing journalist over the last 12 months? Well, it is always uh, dependent upon the local conditions, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the United States being so vast and unwieldy that uh, uh, the restrictions and rules on access to horses and trainers and the racing itself has been dependent upon the local authorities. Um, uh, in New York, for instance, uh, pretty well uh, early on uh, in the uh, uh, the summer season, uh, the journalists and 
agents and that sort of thing were allowed on the backstretch uh, under certain strict protocols of, uh, of health and masking. Uh, but uh, in California, um, we've been uh, excluded, we being uh, journalists and, uh, and the general media, have been excluded from access to the stabling and that sort of thing uh, from the very beginning. So I haven't touched the horse in some time. It's, uh, it's been uh, kind of a, it, it's been no fun. Um, they did open up the racing uh, to uh, media um, midway through last year so that we could, uh, with special permissions, attend the racing. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's uh, a, a bit sterile and uh, we're doing a lot of work by telephone and, and uh, relationships uh, away from the track. Uh, so, uh, it's, um, it's, it's been difficult, uh, for those of us who really like to get our hands dirty on the backstretch and, uh, and get to, uh, uh, have, uh, closer personal relationships with the people involved, but, uh, racing has gone on, which we must be thankful for. And, uh, we can't complain otherwise. Well, thank you for that. It's been the same here. It's been, we've been lucky to actually be able to watch the racing which began here back on june the 1st so we we've basically had uninterrupted coverage since then but today we're going to talk about the kentucky derby the history of the race traditions uh, famous winners and uh, what makes the kentucky derby so special as a horse race and for americans well it's certainly the most hyped race uh heavily promoted race in uh, uh in the world uh that ever was let's face it um it's uh, synonymous with horse racing in the farthest corners of the world i uh i would think that um the race itself uh is distinctive and it's uh, it's distance and it's timing uh a may race where some of these horses aren't even a full 3 years old yet physically but uh, from the standpoint of, uh, of just general interest, um, we seem to focus on the Kentucky Derby more than any other horse race, uh, simply because of uh, the momentum of history and the, uh, the great, uh, you know, we're, we're approaching the 147th running, which I know is kind of a drop in the bucket compared to your Derby, but still it's, uh, it's the longest running uh, major race in this country, uh, rivaled only by races like the Travers and uh, the Belmont Stakes. Yeah, I see um, you're a bit behind us. We got we got underway in 1780. Yeah, well, you had to do something after independence. You know, you had to, uh, you know, you, you didn't have us to kick around anymore. So we, uh, you just started your derby. And I read that in the States, it's known as the most exciting two minutes in sport. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, and again, uh, part of the hype, part of the advertising genius of the people that are behind it. Um, I would imagine you'd get some arguments from uh, anyone who watched uh, some of the great uh, uh, some Tom Tom Brady go through the last two minutes of any Super Bowl that he was uh, he, he needed a touchdown or uh, the last two minutes of any uh, encounter between uh, 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 say uh, uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. But uh, yes, for uh, a uh, a sporting event that uh, takes only two minutes uh, of your time to appreciate. It's uh, it's pretty intense, and uh, you you do tend to hold your breath for two minutes. And Her Majesty the Queen was there in two thousand and seven. I read. Um, I didn't see her, but I heard she was in the house. 
There was probably about 150,000 people there. Uh, oh, we've seen we've seen all all manner of uh, of international celebrities uh, turn up for the Derby. Um, I mean, I I I passed by uh, presidential candidate George W. Bush uh, on the back stairs heading to the press box one day. Um, I mean, you you name it, and and someone has shown up. I believe Richard Nixon was the first sitting president to attend a, a Kentucky Derby uh, way back in the uh, uh, late '60s or early '70s. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, yeah, if uh, you know, if, if if a particular head of state feels like they uh, could use a little visibility, the Kentucky Derby is perfect. Well, the race was first run. I looked up in 1875, and until 1896, it was run over a mile and a half, but now, of course, you're over a mile and two furlongs, 2,000 metres to the American uh, listeners. Um, And a question that's probably very straightforward, but I'm sure you'll have no trouble in answering, is why was it first run on dirt and not on turf? Well, the only grass racing they had then was out in the field. Uh, Turf courses uh, were not... um, were not used uh, to any extent in America until the, oh, really well into the mid uh, 20th century. Uh, every, every race course of note was, um, was of um, tilled and um, groomed soil of some kind or another. And uh, they, they did this, basically for convenience. Uh, you know, you could maintain a, a level of consistency. You didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, deep ground or torn grass or things like that. So it became uh, just a matter of, uh, of maintenance and, and convenience that uh, dirt racing evolved in this country. And uh, for better or worse, the, the breed in this country followed along. Um, the uh, the you know the the foot the stride the uh, all the uh, everything that goes into a horse handling one surface or another began to lean very heavily toward uh, handling a uh, a groomed dirt surface and uh, so here we are today of course now uh, over the last you know forty or fifty years have become uh, more citizens of the world in terms of the racing and we've had to either accommodate um, grass horses from abroad coming to America or develop our own who could uh, to uh, one extent or another travel and uh, act on grass. And it's known the run for the roses. Can you explain why it's called the run for the roses? Well, that's probably some deep Kentucky uh, tradition that the the red rose is uh, a a flower of uh, of significance. Um, each of the three Triple Crown um, races has their own flower. They have their own songs. They're being changed. They've been changed through the years. Uh, you know, they uh, they create their own sort of uh, uh, culture uh, from that standpoint. Uh, the Red Rose is coming into bloom, of course, in, in May, the warmer weather in, uh, in, in the climes of uh, the Midwest. Um, my roses are starting to pop out a little earlier here. We've had a warm uh, early April, so you never know where where roses will show up. Um, at the Preakness, they've got a kind of an inconvenience. Their, their black-eyed Susan is their uh, their flower of choice, but black-eyed Susans don't start to bloom until much later on. So 
they have to take daisies and color the center black. Uh, it's been kind of a, a running joke for many years. And of course, white carnations uh, signify the, uh, the Belmont Stakes. And uh, that's a particular favorite in our house because uh, my wife, being uh, the retired Hall of Fame writer Julie Crone, won her, her Triple Crown event in the Belmont Stakes and still has one of the dried white carnations uh, displayed in our home. And it's a big fashion day as well, isn't it, the Kentucky Derby? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, you know, the the interest in horse racing waxes and wanes with the times, with uh, you know, with with major stars coming on uh, to attract attention, like a Zenyatta or a Cigar or Rachel Alexandra or California Chrome horses like that to kind of reach outside the sport uh, into the more general. Uh, audience but um for the most part every, you know everyone who's involved who who's a sports fan knows about one race one horse race and that is the kentucky derby um i'm not sure that uh, it it's certainly not the race that stops a nation like the melbourne cup uh it's not the uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the 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 tradition of uh, let's say the Epsom Derby, where where it it becomes a a holiday for an entire community uh, to gather on the downs for that one day. It has become a real uh, corporately oriented promotional opportunity for the Churchill Downs brand and for their um, for their bottom line, essentially. Um, so they they push every every conceivable button and pressure point to maximize their uh, attention and profit uh, during, uh, during the Derby week and specifically during the, the two days, the, uh, the Oaks on Friday and, the, and then the Derby on Saturday. And when did you first go to the race yourself? Oh, my first uh, Kentucky Derby was 19, see, 1984. Um, would have been spend a buck. Uh, very, or excuse me, that was 1984. Five. I'm I'm starting to fade here. Um, Spend a buck uh, was uh, was the front running winner uh, that year. Um, very exciting. Uh, he was um, he came out of New Jersey. Uh, had won a series of races there, and uh, Angel Cordero put him on the lead, and uh, they they never got within a tail's length of him all the way around. Um, probably the the most exciting Derby I saw in person. Uh, had to have been, um, I would think, the 1996 version uh, was um, won by Grindstone in the narrowest possible finish uh, over a California gelding named Cavanier. And, you know, I had followed Cavanier quite closely. He was bred in Northern California, not even in the, in, in the, the cradles of California breeding, which would be either the Central Valley or the uh, Central Coast. But he was born in wine country, for goodness sakes. Uh, he was uh, the uh, the product of uh, a couple, uh, Bob and Barbara Walter, who owned a small farm uh, in, uh, in a, a Northern California wine country county, and and raised right there on the farm, and trained on the on the hillsides uh, alongside the vineyards, and uh, was a real uh, hometown hero. And uh, he did everything but win. It was. Uh, 
quite, it was recognized as the closest uh, finish in the history of the Derby. Uh, Grindstone caught him in the far outside in the middle of the track. And for the longest time, no one knew who won until the uh, the photo was examined and re-examined. It was, uh, it was tough. The, the Walters had a, uh, uh, a portrait of the finish commissioned that hung over their, uh, their mantle at their home in Sebastopol, California. And the, the, the angle is from the inside rail looking up at Cavanier and then grindstone on the far outside. And anyone seeing that for the first time would of course figure the Cavanier won the race, uh, which is, is fine with me if they, uh, if they would like to remember it that way. Of course you allow Geldings in the Kentucky Derby as well. Yes. Um, and, and I think I, I don't exactly know if, if there was a restriction uh, ever on Geldings. There was certainly on the, in the Belmont stakes there was, uh, for a number of years. Uh, I, I apologize. I don't know whether or not that same restriction was on, on our Derby uh, for too long, but, but there, there were um, Geldings uh, entered and, and uh, it had been a, a long time uh, between Geldings winning the race, I believe something like between 1928 or somewhere in that range until Funny Side won uh in uh, earlier in this century um so uh, you know it uh, it'll it'll happen and it'll happen again um but still the preponderance uh, of horses that run in are you know they're they're full full colts full males and and with stallion uh you know with stallion value continuing to to be pretty high i i don't think anyone is too anxious to uh to be gelding their young horses uh, before they get a chance at the classics these days. And looking back at some of the famous winners of the race, uh, just a few t- that sprung to mind were 1964 with Northern Dancer, who um, is say the grandsire of Galileo, uh, Secretariat in 1973, and affirmed in 1978 with the Steve Corvin connection. Well, those are, uh, if I could have gone back and, and, in my lifetime uh, and been able to have gone to uh, a Kentucky Derby and seen it in person, those would have been three at the very, very top. Um, The Northern Dancer in 1964 was especially uh, near to my heart as a young fan. I was uh, enamored with a a California horse named Hill Rise. Uh, He was a, a towering, wonderful, beautiful son of Hillary and, uh, uh, bred in the Central Valley of California, and he he, he won the Santa Anita Derby you know, with one hoof tied behind his back. It was uh, very impressive. He went to uh, to Kentucky uh, as uh, as 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 good a chance of a West Coast horse winning as 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 any in in history, and uh, ridden by Bill Shoemaker. Uh, but he came up short to um, uh, to Northern Dancer in a very wily ride by Bill Hartack. Uh, very, uh, uh, he was a very tractable horse, Northern Dancer, not too tall in stature, but built like a, like a Sherman tank. And, uh, he was able to, uh, put on, uh, two or three moves to hold his position and then, and then uh, get the jump on Hill Rise, uh, and the deep stretch and, and held him off. It was heartbreaking for me, but the, the great satisfaction of Hill Rise and we don't, you know, Northern Dancer didn't race it for. He went on to being a, a you know, a, a, a breed changing stallion, but Hill Rise kept going and he ended up in uh, racing in, uh, in England two seasons later 
and uh, won the, uh, I believe, the Queen Elizabeth II stakes and, and became the, the top weighted miler uh, in, uh, in England that year. So uh, that was uh, a little bit of uh, a consolation that Hillrise had such a, a wonderful career after uh, coming so close to winning uh, the Kentucky Derby. And of course, Steve Cawthon is the only jockey to have won both races, the, the Derby at Epsom and the Kentucky Derby. That's true. That's true. You know, who came close, though, was Bill Shoemaker with Hawaiian Sound. Um, that was a, a remarkable ride he gave that uh, Sangster, uh, Robert Sangster horse in the 1978 Epsom Derby. Uh, just absolutely was running them off uh, their feet. And, uh, and the, the genius of Shoemaker, um, when he had a horse like Hawaiian Sound, and and he could he, – he, 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 he put him on a, a relaxed lead, a front a front running position, and Shoemaker was so so adept uh, in keeping a horse balanced and in, in perfect stride that even though he'd never gone around Tattenham Corner or gone through the you know the the camber in the stretch or anything like that before, he still felt his way around that course and and was was just barely beaten at the end. Uh, so. Uh, other than Cawthon, I think Shoemaker came the closest of any uh, any other jockey to win them both. Yeah, you've been reading my notes because I put down Steve Corden, three times champion jockey, only jockey to win the uh, two races. Shoemaker uh, second in 1978 when Shirley Heights beat him in the in the. That's derby. right. Yeah, was that Greville Starkey, I believe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and recently, we've ha- you've had some quite dramatic races. Um, last year's race was run in September. And then in 2019, you had a disqualification in the in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, we've had some eventful derbies lately. <laughs> Our derby, uh, the the uh, last year, we just kind of have to put a, a big fat asterisk by a Kentucky Derby run in September. I mean, it was Kentucky Derby in name only. Um, part of the challenge of the Kentucky Derby is a three-year-old in May. Simple as that. I mean, and if you don't have your Kentucky Derby in May, it can't be compared to any of the Kentucky Derbies that went before. Certainly, Authentic was a legitimate winner of that race on that day and uh, proved to be a terrific late blooming, uh, mid season blooming three year old uh, and uh, champion and horse of the year, rightfully so. Uh, the maximum security race the year before, that was uh, unfortunate. Uh, his jockey, um, uh, lost control of his horse at a key moment, uh, got him back together again, but it was enough uh, to merit a disqualification on the rules. And uh, you can't, uh, you know, you can't use different rules for different races. So it, uh, it, it, it was, it, and it happened in a place in the race where uh, normally uh, a lot of things happen and horses really need to hold their line. Uh, and, and he didn't. Um, so there we are. Um, it's, it's interesting though, that over the last, I think over the, the last 10, um, winners of the Kentucky Derby, and I'm counting authentic also, and not counting maximum security because he was taken down, but I believe only two of them have ever raced past the age of three. And that's starting to, to that's starting to eat into the, I think, into the, the glamour of the Kentucky Derby because, as a standalone accomplishment, it's tremendous. No, don't get me wrong. But in the past, that horse, that winner has has carried that that title on 
as a four-year-old uh, into the handicap and uh, what we call the handicap ranks, but the, against older horses and the top weight for age, and, and then meeting the best three-year-olds of the next generation as a four-year-old. We don't get that anymore. Uh, they're gone, uh, either stud or injury or whatever. And I think that's, um, that's starting to erode at the, uh, at the edges of the Kentucky Derby's uh, magic a little bit. And am I right in saying we've had no uh, overseas winners of the race yet? Uh, no, a horse trained somewhere other than the United States to come here? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It hadn't happened. A bold arrangement, I think, was maybe the closest. Uh, That's 1986, running yeah. Running yeah. second to Ferdinand, yeah. And it took a brilliant ride by, oh, what was his name? Shoemaker again uh, to, uh, you know, to make that happen. Um, Chris McCarran to this day, uh feels like uh, that's uh, that's a race that he had in the bag with uh, an eighth of a mile to go and then here comes that little man shoemaker on Ferdinand and and uh, got through inside and, and that was that but uh, no that was that was very exciting and it, it shouldn't be a surprise that it was uh, uh, Clive Britton who brought him over because you know he had already proven that he could travel with a horse anywhere on the on the planet and and uh, and perform uh just uh, it was it was a very very exciting derby yeah this is bold arrangement who was trained by clive britain in newmarket and had actually I, I read um had a trial race in the blue grass stakes before the kentucky derby correct and you know i mean he he knew what he was doing that was the the right thing to do to get him acclimated to uh uh you know an american crowd and the american course and uh the bluegrass in those days was, uh, if not the prime indicator of success in the Derby, certainly on a par with uh, all of the Wood Memorial or the Santa Anita Derby. Um, in uh, it, it was it was only for many years it was run ten days out from the Kentucky Derby, um, and uh, it was used as uh, like the final you know, proving ground for horses, uh, that, uh, were, were getting really, you know, screwed down tight for that, uh, that first Saturday in May. Now the, the bluegrass is just one of many races run three or four weeks out from the Derby and it sort of gets lost in the, in the shuffle. Uh, and it just depends on who shows up this year, of course, with elusive quality winning the bluegrass and a very good race, a very fast race. Um, uh, last year's two-year-old champion, uh, Colt, um, you know, the bluegrass could have quite a bit of significance. Uh, the runner-up, highly motivated, was uh, was quite good in defeat. So they'll both be, um, certainly the winner will be well-backed in the Derby this year. And uh, uh, and the runner-up uh, will get a lot of attention because he comes from the Chad Brown stable. In the race, is the gate draw important? Because you've got 20 runners normally. Well, no question. Um and it, it in the past, <laughs> what was interesting last year was that um, for the first time, a 20 stall gate was introduced. They had it specially manufactured for the Kentucky Derby. It seems like um, 20 horses, at least to be entered, uh, is mandated any longer, which is too bad. But it's highly encouraged. Uh, close track is kept for uh, the, the top 20 in, 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 in qualifying points. Um, and so you're, you're guaranteed to have that 20 horse stampede 
uh, or perhaps 19 or 18, depending on late scratches. Um, whereas uh, in the a little more distant past, um, you know, there'd be like 14 horse fields, 15, 12 sometimes. Uh, there wouldn't be the, the push to be one among 20. It would be uh, more a, a merit-based system of, do you really think you have a horse that deserves to run in the Kentucky Derby? And, you know, that's a, it's a, it becomes a subtle uh, promotional point, uh, a motivational point. But um, now, I mean, you could have the most, you know, uh, lightly raced or lightly accomplished horse who, for some reason, has acquired the 20th most points. And man, you're on a you're on a van and you're there no matter what, simply because, well, I'm one of the 20 now. It doesn't seem to be the best way to find, uh, you know, the best of the of the uh, of the of the class. of that particular foal crop, but that's that's what we're faced with. At any rate, they did finally, after many years of using a uh, a fourteen stall gate, uh, complemented complemented by a uh, a six stall, I believe, uh, auxiliary gate that were jammed together uh, with a coupling that made for an odd spacing between stalls fourteen and fifteen. And uh, those two horses would always come together at the start because of the gap there. It, it was a it was a, a, a righteous mess. Um, and they finally, uh, you know, with all the money that Churchill Downs is rolling in because of the uh, Kentucky Derby and the Oaks promotions, they um, they had manufactured especially a, a solid twenty horse stall. It looked great. I, I can't remember how many were in the field last year. I think it was maybe like seventeen or so. But you know, they did employ the gate. And and it, it looked great. It was a fair, clean start. Um, the angle that the, the inside horse has to come at is a little awkward because you're you kind of have to 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 bear outward slightly to make the 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 straightaway uh, down the stretch the first time. So there there's by its nature a lot of uh, squeezing and 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 uh, jockey, jockeying for position uh, early. Uh, but for the most part. You know, the post position can affect uh, horses who only perhaps have one way that they can go uh, if they're not versatile enough or handy enough uh, to get some kind of a viable position for what what they can do. Then they could be compromised by the draw. But I, I think it's more uh, ceremonial uh, fuss than is really um, it really, really applies. And you mentioned the favourite um, essential quality. He was the leading two-year-old last year. Yes, he's uh, certainly uh, done nothing wrong this year. Uh, won both of his races. Uh, the last one wasn't. Uh, he didn't. He didn't win by a lot, but he won impressively and, and efficiently. And uh, you know, like a real racehorse, um, he's uh, he's he's flying the uh, you know the Godolphin flag. So that'll be interesting. Uh, to see if they can, after all the years spent on uh, horses uh, coming over from the Middle East, uh, to try to uh, win the Kentucky Derby, either, either homebreds or purchase at the last minute or this or that. This is just a, one of their American string with uh, with Brad uh, Brad Cox and 
and he developed him into a champion two-year-old, and and here we are that he's translating his form into age three. But by no means will he be an overwhelming choice. Uh, there are at least uh, I'd say uh, three others that uh, that will get a lot of attention. Certainly, uh, Todd Pletcher is going to uh, he's he's going to have three or four horses in the field anyway, and um, he's already won the Derby twice, so he knows what he's doing and. Uh, he has known agenda, the uh, Florida Derby, very impressive Florida Derby winner uh, in in the race. Uh, then there's the Santa Anita Derby winner, Rock Your World, uh, son of Candy Ride, um, who uh, absolutely humbled his field in the Santa Anita Derby in only the third start of his life. So uh, that's uh, that's where uh, a lot of uh, most of the attention will will drift. Uh, Hot Rod Charlie is uh, kind of underneath those. He's a very consistent horse who almost uh, well, through a scare into essential uh, uh, quality, um, excuse, excuse me, exclusive quality last year uh, in the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile. And he came back to uh, have a good prep race and then uh, uh, then won in Louisiana quite impressively. So, you know, it's a, it's a good mix at the top. There's no stand, there's no standout, but there's uh, half a dozen quality horses that, uh, you know, really, really deserve attention. And, um, Wesley Ward, who's very well known to us winning, winning races at Royal Ascot virtually every year, he's got a runner in the race as well, hasn't he? He does, coming off uh, coming off uh, uh, synthetic surface. So uh, it, it's hard to take uh, horses uh, like that seriously, although uh, Animal Kingdom uh, did come off uh, uh, both a grass race and a synthetic surface to win 10 years ago. Uh, so it, it, it has been done. Uh, and uh, it'd be good to see Wesley uh, uh, in the uh, in the Derby. He always makes for good copy, and his horses are always well meant. The um, yeah, it's a it's it's a great variety this year. Um, uh, I'd say you know, as in most years, uh, half the field truly belongs, and the other half will be there for the for the for the big day. Uh, and uh, you know. Good, good for their people for giving it a shot, but uh, let's hope they don't get in the way. And Wesley's horse is called Like the King. So have you got your own tip or, and a best outsider for our podcast for the race? <laughs> well, that's not my job, Stephen. Uh, I have the, uh, I have, I have the, you know, the advantage of uh, you know, my work is always uh, takes place uh, afterwards and I get to tell everyone why they were wrong. No, I, I have an affinity, a, a uh, certainly toward Rock Your World, um, his uh, his breeders uh, are uh, some dear friends and absolute uh, institutions in California. Uh, the trainer, Ron McAnally, and his wife, Debbie, um, have a very small but very select broodmare, broodmare band that was uh, actually uh, nurtured uh, in Ireland with uh, Coolmore and uh, where the mare, uh, the taproot mare stood um gave had her foals for the first couple of years and then her daughters have gone on to uh, produce some some wonderful stakes winners for the McAnally family and they sent this particular colt a son of candy ride uh to market last year and got 650 uh excuse me uh, two years ago as a yearling got six hundred and fifty thousand dollars for their trouble which was a pretty fair price for a son of candy ride out of a uh, uh, a group one placed mare and uh, here he is. Three starts later, he's uh, probably the second choice in the Kentucky Derby. Um, and 
and then of course Candy Ride is our house horse. Uh, Julie rode him to win the Pacific Classic for Ron McAnally, uh, and uh, certainly the one of the great moments uh, in her career, and a pretty good day in our family too. That was a lot of fun. So um, I'm 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 rooting for the son of Candy Ride. I can see why. And there'll be crowds there this year. Yes, there will. I believe. Uh, oh, I, I they, they've changed the numbers a couple of times. I think it's around twenty or twenty-five percent of what they consider capacity. I don't know what number they're using. I mean, they've they've announced crowds of one hundred and fifty thousand at the Kentucky Derby uh, in the past because they packed them into the infield and standing room. So I, I don't know. I mean, it'll be a it it'll be a far cry from last September when uh, the Derby was basically run in silence. Uh, with a, a handful of uh, uh, you know owners and media, uh, you know, uh, clattering around in that big barn of a building, uh, the um, no, it'll 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 sound like a it'll sound like a fair sporting event this time around. That's for sure. And where will you be watching the race yourself? Uh, right here in Southern California. Uh, probably go to uh, probably go to one of the local uh, off-track betting sites, or maybe even go to uh, Santa Anita. Um, I was there, uh, in 2014, I went to visit Santa Anita with my daughter to watch California Chrome, uh, win the uh, Kentucky Derby. And we were watching it inside in one of the, the, the nice betting halls that they have there in front of the huge te- television screen surrounded by people. It was so much fun to be surrounded by people. We used to do that. Um, but, uh, the noise the sound that was made by that intensely partisan uh, Southern California crowd to watch their hero, California Chrome, uh, take the Derby. Uh, the only, the only, only sound that I can compare it to would be standing next to a jet engine. I mean, it, it was shattering. I had to put my hands over my little girl's ears <laughs> in, in, in precaution, but, uh, and, and that's, that's what the Derby can do to you. I mean, it, it, it truly is, a, it can be a very emotional experience. There's just, it's such an American institution, uh, not, not just a sporting institution, but an American institution. And, and it has survived a lot. Uh, it has survived you know, disasters of injuries. It has survived controversies of, of, uh, you know, the medication disqualification from more than 50 years ago to the, the, the on-track disqualification of just a couple of years ago. So there's been enough controversy and enough uh, disappointments to, to fill a, a history book. But at the end of the day, uh, it's, 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 that, it's, it's that, that in intensity of those two minutes that, um, that, that stick with you for a, a long time, especially if You've either, you've either tabbed the winner or you have some sort of emotional attachment. Well, let's hope it's a great race again on Saturday, the 1st of May, the same day as the 2000 Guineas is run at Newmarket. And also in 2022, there's 150,000 people rocking at Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. Thank you very much, uh, Jay, for being on the paddock and the pavilion and letting us know all about the Kentucky Derby and your tip for the race on the 1st of May. Stephen, it's been a real privilege and uh, I enjoy your work very much. Keep it up and uh, best of luck. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.